Thank you. I can be seated. All righty. So you, you chose to come to second service. I may not get you out by the time the Baptists are in the Mother's Day brunches, okay? But we're glad you're here this morning. We're finishing the book of Hebrews today. It's been about a year and a half journey. And the book of Hebrews is, is a very technical book. We knew starting out we we're going to have to take our time because so much of it uses language about sacrificial systems and about covenant and things that are just not familiar to us as 21st century American Protestants that were so familiar to the Jewish, the Hebrews who were written to. And there's so many things about uh, Hebrews, some rich theology and some deeper understanding of the Old Testament. And all of these things are critical. At the end of the day, I want to remind you, though, the book is written to try to give encouragement and hope and strength to a group of people who are losing everything. They're losing their possessions, we find out in Hebrews 10. They're increasingly being threatened. Their safety's being threatened. I mean, just kind of imagine for a moment that your choice to be here this morning is a choice to endanger your children. And these are the people that are being written to. And they're in a moment where there's a wavering. There's a, there's, they're, they're losing ground, as it were, in their hope in Christ. And, and, and beginning to think, maybe, maybe this isn't just one, maybe it's not so true, and maybe it's not so worth it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, to remind ourselves of why so much of Hebrews is about enduring, about having faith, about the promises not yet experienced, about what lies ahead. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Why would you write that? Because they're in danger of of losing their confidence. Which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Do not throw away your confidence. Have the courage to endure and fulfill the calling that is in front of you of what God has called you to, because you will receive what is promised. This is the book of Hebrews, and it's going to close in a prayer, and in just a few moments we're going to go to that prayer, and that prayer is going to be a prayer of blessing. Before the, the morning's over, we're going to pray that prayer of blessing. I'm going to pray that over you, because it's a prayer that reminds us of two truths that have been throughout the book of Hebrews, and here are the two truths. Number one, in Christ, an extravagant love has been given to you. In Christ, an extravagant love has been given to you. You have been given access to the mercy of God. You've been given access to the grace of God. You've been given access to forgiveness, wisdom, compassion. Hebrews 12 tells us we share in His holiness. In Christ, you've been given an extravagant love by a God who chose Himself to bear your sin. And the second truth is this. In Christ, an extraordinary life has been entrusted to you. An extraordinary life. Now, we need to take a moment before we go farther to make sure we understand what we mean by extraordinary because we, we live in an environment where extraordinary takes on a very different kind of meaning. We live in a very consuming environment. My generation grew up with that obnoxious little guy on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? Some of you know, I can't remember his name. I don't even want to think about it. But that, that, the whole idea of here's, here's that extraordinary life. And then the next generation grows up on MTV Cribs. And then there's all the digital media that's just constantly bombarding us with celebrities and their extraordinary lives. And we start to think about extraordinary life is about what we consume. I mean, the height of that might be this, this, this royal wedding. I mean, that's extraordinary, the, the extravagance of all that's a part of that. 
Now, when women look at that picture, they just say, God, it's a beautiful dress. And men look at that and say, you wouldn't, he wouldn't get me to wear what he's wearing. There is no way. I mean, why do you go to a wedding dressed as a doorman at the hotel? I don't get it. And you can see the priest is trying to tip him, and she said, no, 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 no. Anyway, so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about extraordinary because you get to consume all kinds of stuff. As a matter of fact, here is a better metaphor for what we mean by an extraordinary life. You know, this week, this, uh, the whole story of the Osama bin Laden and, and his death and all that goes with that, these, this SEALs Team 6, Navy SEALs Team 6, has become such a focus. And, and, and so I've read a little bit about them, and I'm just fascinated by these guys. You know, because they don't want celebrity. You know, everybody's trying to give them a parade and make that. That's not their, their deal is not that. Their deal is mission. They are on the mission of what they do. They train, and they do what they do. And they're about that. They're not about the celebrity. But what they do is extraordinarily difficult. And our whole, our whole, our whole country is like, it's kind of like a collective, wow, these guys are amazing. And even after I prepared the sermon, I was listening to President Obama, I think it was Thursday or Friday, and he referred to them as extraordinary. You see, there's three things that, that they have that the Hebrews are being given in a spiritual sense in the book of Hebrews, they have an extraordinary confidence, an extraordinary courage, an extraordinary calling. And you look at that and you look, okay, so you're using the metaphor of the Navy SEALs Team 6, these special op guys, and you're talking about this extraordinary confidence, courage, and calling, and if you're like me, your first thought is, this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my life. I mean, some of you are saying, I'm an at-home mom changing diapers. This is not exactly Navy SEAL spirituality, all right? All right, yeah, I got a lot of amens on that, all right? You know, some of you, are, you're in a struggling small business, and you're just trying to survive tomorrow and make payroll at the end of May, and you're like, Rick, this is not extraordinary. And some of you are grad students, and grad, grad student life is about dreams and debt. Pretty much that's it, right? And you're like, this is not extraordinary. And what I want to suggest to you is you misunderstood what's being taught if you don't think your life is extraordinary. Your life is meant to be extraordinary, but you've got to understand what it means and you've got to understand what's been given to you. In Christ, you have been given an extravagant love. And in Christ, you have been entrusted with an extraordinary life, and I mean entrusted. You are supposed to do something with it, but you must understand what it is, and that's what we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews because these Hebrews are being called and entrusted with an extraordinary life, and it's not a pretty easy one, but it's an eternal value one. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1 to remind us of this in Christ because that's the whole key. If you take away the phrase in Christ and you say you've been given extravagant love, you have an extraordinary life, that's a motivational talk that tries to get you to go do something, but it's not meaningful. The in Christ part is essential. So go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. This is how Hebrews begins by letting us, reminding us and teaching us and reinforcing to us who Christ is. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by, the, by his son. Now get ready for all the phrases that are coming at you because they're describing Christ. 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This Christ is superior to all prophets before. He's superior to the angels. And throughout the book of Hebrews, we're going to find out he's superior to Abraham, Moses, He's great. He's the great high priest. He offers the superior covenant. He provides the superior sacrifice. He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the mediator of our relationship with our Father. He is the motivation for our endurance, and He is the means by which we endure. And this life has been given to you out of an extravagant love, and it's a life entrusted to you to live an extraordinary life. And let's just be honest before we go any further in this, about this. For some of you, you, uh, you rec- I mean, when you recognize what I'm saying, you have seen God do things in your life that you know are beyond you. You have been stretched to places where you never thought you could serve and live and go. You have dealt with things you never thought you could dealt with. You have given grace and forgiveness. You've overcome bitterness. I can go on and on the things that you've done. And then for some of you, when I talk about an extraordinary life in Christ, this could not be more foreign than if I were up here speaking in a language you didn't understand. Because you cannot recall a moment when that was true. And for some of you, like the Hebrews, you've been there, but it's been a while. And it's not getting better. You're discouraged. I talked with a guy this week who said to me, he said, I have been investing and investing, investing in these people, and I'm starting to wonder if it makes any difference. Just totally discouraged. And some of you are just distracted. I mean, there was a time when your life made sense and meaning, and you saw what Christ was doing, but you've gotten so distracted with bills and with hail damage and with kids and with school and with two-career family. I mean, there's so much going on. You're just distracted. And some of you, I know, I know your story. You've either shared it with me or it's come across my radar. Some of you are defeated. The sin you've struggled with has now got such a hold on you that if I say words like confidence, you say, that's just not, I don't have that. If I say courage, you say, that's gone. And if I say calling, you say, whatever. I know that. And the Hebrews, this is who they were. That's what they're experiencing. So when you come to this place and you say, how do I experience an extraordinary life? What does that really mean? You're right where the Hebrews are. And their circumstances aren't getting better. They're getting worse. And so here's the closing prayer of the book of Hebrews, verses 20 and 21. Turn to Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, because we're going to stay there for a little while. You know, I, I, let me just be honest with you. I didn't take the time for first service because I got a lot of content today and I tend to go long anyway. So, but let me, let me just say this. The brunch will wait. You'll be okay. So, you know, I get discouraged. I mean, I, sometimes I think, I look at things I'm doing all and I'm like, I'm doing a lot, but is this really making any difference? I know that feeling. And 
And I go through the times where I just get distracted. You know, my car needed $1,000 worth of work about a week and a half ago. It's not worth 2000 You know, I'm just like, and so I just fret and think. And, what, and just that little bitty thing can just, and, and then I'll just, I'll go through that moment where my heart, my thoughts are in the wrong place and they're not godly. And I'm just thinking, I'm just an idiot. And what am I doing being a pastor? And I just, this is a, this is a spiritual struggle. Okay. But it is one where we're meant to overcome. I'm not talking about every moment, every day we got it. I'm talking about over, if you take not the snapshot, but the video, your life is meant to overcome. That's what this is a prayer. It's a prayer for overcoming. So wherever you are right now, you've got an extravagant love that's been given to you. And you've got an extraordinary life, but you've got to press into it. And it's not going to be pretty every day. I just felt like I needed to say that because I don't want to get some false impression like I'm just walking all day with confidence and courage and calling and I just got it. I don't. But Christ does. And that's available. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's just take this apart for a little bit. The God of peace. Now, when I think of the word peace, here's what I think of. Sitting by the Little Pigeon River with my Bible and my Kindle and my journal, and nobody's going to call me. I'm thinking that'd be a good day. Or sunrise at Pauly's Island. Oh, man. And some of the moms are thinking, I'd just take an hour nap. That's all I need, right? Just, it's Mother's Day, give me an hour nap. Well, you deserve it. I hope you get that today. That's fair. But this ver- and that, those are all peaceful things. This is not what the peace is, this passage is talking about. The peace that's being described here is the peace of the gospel. Because the, the Hebrew people understood what it was to be separated from God. They had plenty of reminders of the wrath of God and sin. They had a great deal of understanding about judgment. They had a great deal of understanding about sacrifices needing to be made. What they were struggling with is to remember that once while they had been enemies of God, they were no longer enemies of God. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 10 and 11. This is the peace being referred to in Hebrews 13 in this prayer. It's praying for them to have the peace of grace and reconciliation with God. And so this morning, whatever your sin is, and everybody's got it, and some of you aren't dealing with it, and it's, it's destroying you, and some of you are dealing with it, but you're discouraged, and others of you are just like, I'm not looking at that because it just, I can't deal with the fa-. This is calling you to Christ in your sin. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You cannot live an extraordinary life unless you are willing to be reconciled to your God and share in his life. And you will do that only by grace. There is no other hope. 
And you can chase and you can chase and you can chase your money, you can chase your success, you can chase your image, you can chase your religious stuff, and it will get you nowhere. This is grace, and it is a gift, and it is extravagant. Verses 10 and 11. Look in verses 10 and 11 of Romans 5. For if while we were sinners we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. I love that phrase. I mean, if before we ever knew him, he died for us so that we could have life with him, how much more is his life going to be an extraordinary experience for us? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were enemies. We have been reconciled. We have peace with God because he took it on himself. And that peace should give us every confidence. You say, Rick, you don't know what I've thought this week. Well, you don't know what I've thought this week either. You don't know how selfish I am. You have no idea how selfish I am. And I do not have confidence in this flesh, but I am absolutely confident of his grace. And I'm at peace. I get disappointed in myself sometimes. I get frustrated in myself, but I'm at peace with him because of grace. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. This is a picture of the power, the power of the resurrection. Turn to 1 Peter 1. I know we're looking at a lot of Scripture today, but you've got to know these truths, or you're going to walk out of here saying, well, that was a really nice sermon. It will make squat difference. And by the time the brunch is over, you won't remember anything. You've got to know these truths. Because you were made to live an extraordinary life. And they're based in, it's based in these truths. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I challenge you, you find one thing in your life other than Christ that's un imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're going to see this over and over again this morning, just in a little verse. He's got you. His power has guarded your heart and will guard you. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you're going to need to move through this life to become the man or woman God intended for you to be is available in Christ, granted to you by power through the knowledge of him who called us, you ready for this, to his own glory and excellence. You say, if you're like me, I can't even do simple algebra. My kids, when they hit sixth grade math, I said, you're on your own. I'll pay for a tutor. Don't ask me. <laughs> when they hit physics and science and all that kind of stuff, hey, you, don't look at me. I have no idea. I'm not, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I can go through the list of all the things that I wished I was excellent in this. I'm not. But do you realize that we've been called to his glory and his excellence? That he's chosen to share that life with you? 
All of those qualities and characteristics of his compassion, his grace, his truth, his justice, he wants to share that with you, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, by, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You have the power to escape, to overcome, to move out of, this the video, the baptism video this morning. You, just, you hear a young man saying, I was here and now I'm moving here. And he was talking about his welcoming his first child here in about seven weeks. And I'm thinking, man, God, you got a hold of that guy right at the right time. Partakers of the divine nature. Now, this being Mother's Day, there's lots of things I think about. Okay, obviously I think about my mom who's a wonderful, godly, caring mom. So thankful for her. Uh, my mother-in-law is here, and she's a wonderful, caring, godly mind, just a great grandmother to my kids, and just so thankful for that. My own wife, she's a wonderful, so I am surrounded with this. But I also got to tell you, and, and my family members here appreciate it, I, when I, Mother's Day, I always think of Momsy. And Momsy was my, my wife's grandmother, and she is the quintessential, before there was the movie Steel Magnolias, Momsy was the Steel Magnolia, okay, I'm just telling you. She's a, she was a southern uh, I'm just, from the beginning, the name. She was that feisty southern woman. Her name was Ivor Pearl, right? <laughs> Do not name your child Ivor Pearl unless you hate them or something, all right? So it was cool back in Momsy's day. Not so good now, right? But she had this strong southern name. And, and she, I, you know, I got to know her in her 70s and 80s. And so we'd go there to visit her, and Momsy would be out in the garden. It'd be 90 degrees in Mississippi, 100% humidity. And I'd be feeling guilty because I'm like, I'm not going out in that. But there'd be Momsy working that garden, and I couldn't, so I'd go out and work with her. I couldn't keep up with her. I would be exhausted by it. And she was the, and, and just that kind of a, um, that southern woman mentality, just kind of feisty about things. She was kind of a gunslinger, I mean, literally. She had these animals that were bothering her garden, bothering her animals, so she just got her pistol. She couldn't see very well, but she just started shooting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of aim, but there was a lot of bullets flying, you know. And then she had this cat, this, her cat got, you know, this is just a rural Mississippi lifestyle. Her cat got its tail infected. The end of its tail got infected. We would have thought a vet, she thought a pruning shear. So, <laughs> snuck up behind that cat, whack. So, that's Momsy, right? <laughs> I'm right, Arna Miss Richie. That was your mom. I'm right. I mean, just amazing woman. But here's another thing. I mean, I can tell you story after story. But here's another thing. At her funeral, a 50-something-year-old man stood up and said, when I was little, my mom died. And every year on my birthday, my mom made me this cake. And so for the rest of my life, as long as Miss Siver was alive, she made me that cake on my birthday because she wanted me to have that cake. Now, that's extraordinary. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because... Every day, especially in the spring, I watch my wife, who, by the way, I've been married to 28 years today. Thank you, Jesus. Yep. Extravagant. Extravagant grace of God in my life. I watch my wife go out in her garden, and I see Momsy. And I watch this feisty southern woman who is, kind of goes at life with pruning shears, and I see Momsy. And I sit down with my 21-year-old 20, daughter, who's kind of this quiet, sweet little girl, but she will get in your face if she needs to. And I'm like, well, there's Momsy. 
because my family have, has partaken of the nature of Momsy. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, so much more so, are you a partaker of the nature of God? It's all over you. It's all in you. You get discouraged, you get distracted, you get defeated, and you forget who you are because you forget who He is. And the book of Hebrews is saying, endure. Don't, no, don't pull back. You have given power. You have courage. Not in and of yourself, but in Him. And that courage shapes us and defines us and we begin to resemble His attributes because we have His DNA. You have the spiritual DNA of the creator of the universe, the heir of all things. You cannot forget who you are. And not only that, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. He's a leader. He's leading you. Don't turn there because I've got a lot of passages, two or three left to go, so let me just read them. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's a very personal leader. That's a God who's saying, I'm speaking, I'm moving, I'm leading. Somebody wanted to say, what's this whole season to engage? 36 pathways, orphans, pay off the debt. What's that? It's about one thing. It's about as a congregation learning to ask and listen. What would you say to us and how would you lead us individually and corporately? Teach us to be led by the shepherd's voice. You hear this language, here it comes again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. His point's very clear. No one will take my children from me and I will accomplish in their lives. They may struggle, they may get feel defeated, they may get discouraged and distracted, but I am going to lead them and I'm going to lead them into places where they're going to make eternal difference. You have a calling because of who Christ is in you. Now, this word is a, is a little goofed up in the church, all right? So we gotta, we gotta, i got to work with us for just two or three minutes on this whole idea of calling. People like me, trying to find words to describe their lives, say, I've been called into the ministry. There's nothing inherently wrong with that phrase. People like me are trying to say... I was doing this and this, and then I felt like vocationally I was supposed to go do this, like as a pastor or some part of the church. That's my vocation. But the language is goofing everything up, because then it seems like we have like these .001% of people who are called to ministry, and then everybody else is kind of watching and supporting it. That's not it. So we just have to get rid of this whole idea that somehow the people who stand up and do like I do or somehow who are professionally, vocationally doing this are somehow called and everybody else is kind of like not so called. It's not it. I said this last week with two different people who are being led by their Lord to adoption. They're being called. There's a calling of God towards this. I, I sat this week with, with three people who have been called into serving high school students. Last thing they ever thought they would be doing, and they're leading small groups of high school students, and they're loving it, and they're being stretched. They're being called. I sat with two different groups of people who are being, who are being called, and they're helping 
uh, support families who are trying to adopt who can't afford it. I met with another man whose who's mission field, his calling, is working with uh, Burundi refugees in Knoxville who play soccer. This is not the majority of the city, right? Someone needed to be Christ with Burundi refugees who play soccer, and this is the man, both as a soccer player and a follower of Christ, and he's been called. And then I met Emily this week, and Emily works with Green Tree Apartments, and, and is intentionally a part of a staff who's looking to, to create a community in which Christ would be known within an apartment complex, and if you get very close to Emily, she's going to either recruit you or energize you, because she is passionately called in her work in those apartments to that field. We have to understand calling in these ways because Momsy was extraordinary in her life and her calling to be a Mississippi mom and grandmother. And it's made generational difference. These ordinary things that we take for granted, these things that we think are just things that we do in the stuff of life are meant to have eternal consequence. And I cannot say it enough, you have an extraordinary life. Don't get seduced and suckered into thinking that you measure it by numbers of people or positions or titles or images or just be a coach, be a teacher, be a mom, be a dad, be a landscaper, be a builder, be whoever, just be there, Christ. That's, where, that's, that's what he's calling you to do. And he's doing so by the blood of the eternal covenant. Because in John 10, he also says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came, I came that may have life and have it abundantly, or today's terms, extraordinarily. I am the good shepherd. How do you know a good shepherd from a bad shepherd or an okay shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You have an extravagant love that ensures that he's going to complete his work in your life. John one twenty nine. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are you ready for this? The shepherd became the Lamb. How extravagant is that? And so you have been given a life where Christ's peace and Christ's power and Christ's leadership add up to an extraordinary confidence, courage, and calling. Not that you feel every day. Not that you get right all the time. But it is there for the asking, for the accessing, for the seeking. And when you live, when you bow down to, when you give in to, when you let take over in your life lack of confidence and lack of courage and lack of calling because you are focusing on your limitations instead of his unlimited resources, you are not stewarding well what's been entrusted to you. I didn't say when you fail or struggle you're not stewarding well because stewarding well means that you deal with those things with him. But when you move away from him, I can give you a hundred reasons why my life doesn't measure up to God, and that would be off the top of my head. 
I can give you one reason why it still makes an eternal difference. Christ. And that is extraordinary to me. It is extraordinary to me that somehow in the midst of what is the dysfunctional parent that I am and the limited leader that I am and the fact I spend probably way too much time in middle school basketball gyms that out of all that, God does something. That's the extraordinary life you've been called to. And so in just a moment, I want to pray over you, but I want to say one more thing before we do. I say two more things. I'm a preacher. I say two more things. Here we go. Number one, this SEAL Team 6 that did this incredible, you know, coming into this compound and all that they did. And do you know the guys were 38 years old on average was 38 years old? I mean, when you put that in your mind, I'm thinking 23, right? I'm thinking some of you guys, 23, 24, got 38. Why? Why would your average age be 38? Because it takes that long to develop and be equipped and to learn and become all that's required to do something like that. Life requires growth. Life requires maturity. Life requires study of the word and prayer and learning and being in community and making mistakes and struggling and risking and trying. If you're going to steward this, what's been entrusted to you well, you're going to have to make commitments beyond just sitting and watching. It just, it won't work. And so if you're struggling, the first thing you need to do is get moving. Get moving. We've got get in the word, get in prayer, get in serving, get moving. Don't sit around and wallow in it. You say, but I'm such a sinner, I'm so messed up. Well, welcome to humanity, okay? But you've got something to offer. And you want to get moving on that. Second thing I want to say is I'm just so thankful for this congregation. The season to engage, we've been in it for two years. We've got, um, well, I don't know, we've got about a year and a half to go. And it's staggering. I sit down now with engage, mem- I have these engaged member meetings. I'm meeting with the congregational members 20 at a time, as probably for the rest of my life, evidently. But anyway, so there's like over a thousand who are actually members, and we keep adding a couple hundred a year, so probably I'll just, you know, y'all can come visit me at the nursing home. But anyway, so. We keep doing it, and I just keep hearing story after story after story of what God's doing. And then a, a, a couple weeks ago, we asked you if you'd be willing to help us on a something, which is a big deal, which would be, would you get out of your comfort zone to make room in our second service during the school year when we have so many people to, to be able to reach? And our first numbers, we miscalculated. We thought, this isn't going to work. But then we looked back, and... And just under 500 people said they'd either go to 1230 service or they'd go to either one we ask. And 1,100 people said we'll go to first service if necessary. And what it says to me is this church we've not yet imagined is beginning to happen where we don't think of this is for us so we get what we want on Sunday morning so we can go do what we want. We're starting to think about this as something we've been entrusted with. And I will tell you, we've been entrusted with something extraordinary here. The life of Christ in your hearts is extraordinary resources to be leveraged for the kingdom. And so the prayer is this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As Thessalonians says, faithful is he who called you, and he also will bring it to pass. 
you have all that you need to make an eternal difference in your ordinary life. You don't need celebrity. You don't need more money. You don't need that right relationship. You don't need that right house. You don't need that right job. Right now, today, you have been given an extravagant love, and you have been entrusted with an extraordinary life. And he's invested in equipping you to live that life because it pleases him, and it accomplishes will, and it brings him glory. So here's how we're going to end Hebrews. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I'm going to have you stand. And uh, we're going to have you, this is going to be a little different for some of you. We're going to have you like the person next to you, like either hold their hand or you can put a hand on the shoulder. You're saying, that's not really going to be comfortable. And I'm like, get over it. Here we go. All right? So it's good for you. All right? So we don't greet one another with a holy kiss. That brings all kinds of problems. All right? So stand up. Just put a hand on the shoulder pray. I'm going to pray this prayer over you. Here we go. Just touch somebody. Here we go. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Lord, make it so in these people, in this congregation. Cause us to see these ordinary days as extraordinarily eternal in their consequences. Forgive us when we look at our limitations and our sins and dismiss ourselves from the extraordinary lives we're called to because we have peace with you and confidence. We have power, the power of the resurrection coursing through our spiritual veins. And we have the courage to endure whatever is ahead. And we have a calling from you, every one of us. Great shepherd, you have called us in some way to just live this life in a way that counts for you. May we be disciplined in our commitment, dependent in our hearts, and dedicated to one thing only, and that's the glory of your name, the great shepherd who became the lamb and who's coming back as the lion. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.